All right, y'all turn to Colossians. Uh, We're going to be in the first chapter. Today we're going to be in uh, verses 9 through 14. We're in a series on the book of Colossians. And uh, we have entitled this The Preeminence of Christ. We haven't gotten to really what I think is the the central message of the book of Colossians yet, but uh, really the overall theme is that Christ is supreme. He's supreme over... uh, rulers and authorities. He's supreme over principalities. He's supreme over our lives. So in light of who he is, Colossians, Paul, uh, in this book to the people of Colossians says, live this way. He's holding up this banner of, of who Jesus is in the grand scheme of, of, of the cosmos. This man who was God, and he's saying, in light of who he is and what he's called you to be, live this way. This is the second half of, of what Paul began last week of, of reflecting on this message brought from a guy named Epaphras who served as an evangelist to the, the people at Colossae. And when he, he, was, he was reminiscing on really what Epaphras had told him, that this group of people had so bought into the truth of the gospel that it had awakened faith in them, in Jesus, and given them hope and really made them more loving and lovely around each other. And um, Paul, was ex- he was excited about that. He was excited about that. Last week, I said that there's a flow to the gospel. I just actually said it to you. I'm going to put it up on the screen. The word of the truth, the gospel, introduces me to the hope laid up for me in heaven. You guys going to put that on the screen? Listen to my words. The word of the truth, the gospel, introduces me to the hope that's laid up for me in heaven and awakens in me faith in Jesus and love for others. That's the flow of the gospel in your life. And so the, the gospel is a message that's not just to be received, but it's to be um, proclaimed. We're to live the message of the gospel, but we're also to speak it and The gospel saves us, but this gospel also spurs us on so that it makes me aware of all that God gives me through the person and the work of Jesus. It makes me have more faith in this guy named Jesus. But it it not only does that, it gives me it gives me love. I mean, it helps me to love other people. That's the flow of the gospel, as Paul expressed it in the Colossians life based upon Epaphras' testimony of them, but it's also how the gospel works in you. There's a flow to it. You know, and Paul's excited about this. He gives thanks to God about this, and we can and should give thanks to God for our own lives and how the gospel flow is is working in us. But what Paul does in this passage that we're about to read is he moves forward. He's like, all right, that's cool. The gospel's working in you, but, but here's a picture of of how the gospel not just saves you, but how it spurs you on, of how it um, grows you, of how it matures you into who God, is, who God has called you to be as a church and also as, as individuals. So Colossians 1, verse 9 through 14, we're going to read these together. This is a prayer. And so we're actually going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to receive this. Okay, this is a prayer. prayer Paul is praying for the, the, uh, 
the, the city of the, the, the church at Colossae. And I'm sure he wrote it because he wanted them to receive it. And so when someone is praying, it neat. You just close your eyes and you just receive what someone is praying as, you know, as they're thinking about you and and where God would have you, you know, the things that they would you know, want God to do for you. This is how we should receive this prayer. So we're going to read it out loud and then I'm going to read it to you and ask you to receive it. Is that okay? All right. So let's read it together, starting in verse verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right. So now I want you to listen. I'm going to pray this over you and I want you to receive it. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we honor these words that you have left for us. This prayer that Paul prays that's become a part of the inspiration of Scripture. And Lord, we receive it the same way that Paul gave it to uh, the people of Colossae. And I think what Paul wanted them to know was is that as, as they grow, God really has given us all that we need in Jesus, and it's our hard work to appropriate it. So, Lord, help us today to grasp these words, to receive them, receive them as if the Apostle Paul were praying them over us. More than that, Lord God, help us in these words to see that all that God gives, all that God encourages us through these words to, to grow, to mature in Jesus, he's given us. As we're in Christ, we pray this in Jesus name and everyone said, amen, amen. You know, one of the main things I, I hope that we would learn in this, this series in Colossians is, uh, is that we can connect the gospel to, to our daily lives. You know, that, that's a difficult thing. Oftentimes we know the gospel saves us, but do we actually know where to go what to think about, you know, how, do, how does the gospel actually mature me so that I am, <clears throat> you know, so I'm living th- this grand faith, the faith that we see of the early disciples and apostles in, in these words of scripture. We want to learn how the circumstances of uh, and the situations of our life, you know, how to deal with life. Um, how do I believe 
what I'm, what I'm reading such that it has an effect on my life? How do I believe what, I, what the Bible tells me so that I do right, act right in those moments where it gets hard? Because sometimes, you know, it gets hard, doesn't it? Parenting kids, dealing with your spouse, getting along with those people at work, going to Walmart, you know, just <laughs> trying to get what you need and get out. You know, sometimes it can be hard, right? So how do I how do I do this? How do I believe it? How do I work it out? And I think Paul gives us a little glimpse in uh, in this passage of how to do that. Uh, and I'm and I'm prayerful that God will help me to be able to articulate that um, that to you. You know, oftentimes we pray that God would just zap us. You know, Lord, you know, I don't want to go through the rigmarole. I don't you know, just give it to me. Give it to me now. <laughs> um, but God, you know, he's not like that. Um, he doesn't really um, grow us that way. We, we are hoping for growth. Just growth doesn't come that way. I think God doesn't intend to give it to us this way. And so the neat thing is that Paul isn't praying for the Colossians uh, in, in ways. He's not asking God to give them something that they don't, don't have. I don't know if you realize that. He's not saying give, give them something new, something extra, something, you know, some added spiritual, ugh. he's not asking, actually praying that for them. What he's praying is that they would understand what they already have because they're in Christ. Christian growth is not growing and getting better in the things that, you know, I don't have. Adding extra stuff onto what you get at salvation. It's working to appropriate what I already have. And that is, that's the message of this, this prayer that Paul prays. And I would tell you, this is, this is my sermon here. The clue to growing in all these ways that Paul prays that they would grow in verses 9 through 11 is understanding what you already have in verses 12 through 14. That's, that's my sermon, all right? So hopefully you can follow that. And so Paul prays, and he, he only asks for two things. He's praying to God, asking two things for uh, this church at Colossae. Uh, the first is they'd be filled with knowledge. The second is that they would be strengthened with power. Um, and he's praying that both of these things would have outcomes that would equip them to live godly lives. He says it in these words, that they would have lives that, that they would walk uh, in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you should hear him through these words praying that same thing for you. And so verse 9, he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not cease to pray for you, asking that you may, fit, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I don't know where your eyes go when you read that, that, past, that verse. Mine immediately go to knowledge of his will. You know, I'm thinking, like, all right, what's the will of God for Jeff? You know, I mean, what, what should I be doing? God, tell me. Tell me right now so I can do exactly those things that you would will me to do. All right, let me qualify what I just said. Um, Honestly, my, my mind and my eyes go to this, this idea of the will of knowledge of the will of God. But if I'm really honest, I don't, I don't want God's will. And you don't, you don't either. We want our will. Think about how you think about how you think when you pray. Um, Lord, my car's broke. I need you to fix my car right now. Lord, my money is broke. I need you to get me some more money right now. Lord, my, my kid is broke. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My kid is, is acting in a wayward fashion and 
it's not in me to give him what he needs. I, I need you to get in there and do something right now. My husband, my wife, mm, you know, I, I don't even have the words to, Lord, I need you to do something right now. Um, we want God to, th- this is what we want. But I would tell you, God's will isn't necessarily as quick um, and as, as as instant. And oftentimes, even the very thing that we're asking God to do for us that we think might be his will because we're praying it. That, that's not God's. That's not necessarily God's will for us. And so. Um, let, let me explain. Let me just um, theologize, philosophize, whatever the word might be. Um, just the way the will of God works out in our life. I, and I would, I, would, I would loosely categorize us in this room in, in a couple categories. There's some of us where, where we live life with uh, an intimate knowledge that God is involved in everything that I do. From waking up to going to bed, sun up to sundown, God is in, he's somehow involved. And I live my life in that way. And then there's, there's others of us that kind of know God is there. We might acknowledge him, acknowledge him in certain aspects of our life. But in many ways, he's just in the background. It's like, you know, background music that sometimes I might tune into, but oftentimes it's going on and I don't even know what's playing. And, and really, the, the way this plays out is my life is like, uh, you know, metaphorically, a cabinet full of drawers. I've got work, play, recreate, friends, church, God, community group. And these are all in different drawers in my, in my you know, in my cabinet. And, you know, when it's time to go to church, I open the God drawer I pull God out. I bring him with me. I go to church. I do my God thing. And then in Jesus name, amen. I put God back in that drawer and I, you know, and then I go to work. I go do some kind of recreation. I go work out. I hang out with my buddies. You know, I do some family stuff, community group, go to my drawer. I pull that, pull God out. I go to community group with God in Jesus name. Amen. I stick him back in that drawer and I go on with my life. And so we have God compartmented. Um, it's not that we mean to do this. We don't do this purposefully, but we do it functionally. A lot of us do. I, I oftentimes, I would say I do this in, in some ways. Don't try to do it, but oftentimes many of us do it. But then there's come this, this moment where our, our filing system of our life doesn't work. Say, for example, tragedy hits and you need to hear from God in the midst of this tragedy. And you're forced to open the God drawer at a moment where he's not usually speaking into your life. And it's like, Lord, something's going on. I, I need help. And I would tell you, we would categorize, you know, some of us, our lives are like this. And so the way that we think about God and his will of knowing it and have it lived out is played out in those kinds of ways in our life. And so the, way, the correct way to think about God's will is not God is in a drawer and I pull him out when I need him, but that God encompasses all of 
you know, all of my life. And really what Paul is saying here in regards to the will of God is that we should be thinking about the will of God in, in terms of his broad purposes. What Paul has in mind is not some specific special direction for your life, but it's a deep understanding of the revelation of Christ himself. He's saying that I'm praying that they would have a knowledge of the will of God, which means an intimate knowledge first of who Jesus is. But more than that, I, I, because I know who he is, I, I, I am also familiar with how he would sort of have me act and, and, and just deal with life as it, as it goes along. Knowledge here is not just like information. It has the flavor of an experiential knowledge of firsthand knowing. I mean, how do you know what you know? I mean, how do you experience something firsthand? You're there. You're participating in it. And he's saying uh, the knowledge of the will of God is like I'm, I'm experiencing it because I know it. I'm, I'm in it with Jesus. I'm in it when I wake up. I'm in it when I go to work. I'm in it when I go to school. He's, he's involved in my life and this knowing his will is is natural because I've already included him in the, the, the all the file cabinets in the drawers of my life. I like how Paul prays similarly in Ephesians um, chapter one, verse 15 through 17. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give you uh, thanks. I, I I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Ephesians and Colossians go, they really go together. They go hand in hand. And much of Paul's theology that we're reading in Colossians, he, he fleshes out in Ephesians as well. And so we hear many of the same words. And what Paul is saying to us here, that the knowledge of the will of God comes In many ways, it comes from the spirit. He says, you can't know the true, you can't have true knowledge of the will of God aside from the Holy Spirit. The spirit of God is is giving you this intimate knowledge of God. And so back in Colossians chapter one, verse nine, Paul prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he's trying to make clear that he's praying for something that only God, the Holy Spirit can give. He's praying for something that only God, the Holy Spirit, can give. He's saying this knowledge, this wisdom is gained only by God, the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 2, 9. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, and he's quoting Isaiah 64, 4. He says, but as is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man has examined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us. Through the spirit, there are some things, things that we can't even imagine that God It's not going to zap us. It's not going to come magically. You can't lay a book on your head and get it. What he's saying is God, the spirit has to give it to you. And I think he's saying right here, this knowledge of the will of God has to come. It's it's experiential, but it's spiritual. It's coming because you're in intimate fellowship with Jesus and the spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to give it to you as you Relate to him. So knowing God's will demands both a relational, a relationship rather, but it also demands a yielding of my life to him, to Jesus and his purposes. And I think this is way different than opening your God drawer when you when you need to hear from God. This really is allowing God to 
uh, to enter your life, not just at moments, but in every aspect and especially in those non-spiritual areas of your life. I think part of the issue with with us and our God drawer is that we want things to happen quickly. Uh, But not just do we want them to happen quickly. We we want we want to get it without suffering, without there being hardship. I want to be happy. And, you know, as I was as I was just typing some words out, I actually wrote this down. God doesn't want you to be happy. But that, that's a little harsh. That's, that comes across a little harsh, doesn't it? Honestly, and it's not, it's not necessarily true. Because whenever you read the word blessed, the, the root of that word is, is happy. It's, it's tending toward happiness. Matthew 5, blessed are, blessed are. God is saying, you'll be happy, but there's a condition to it. God puts a condition on your happiness. And so I'll say it like this. This this sounds a little bit better. God is not as interested in your happiness as you are. All right. What does God want? God wants to sanctify you. He's all about conforming you to the image of his son. And he will do it in a myriad of ways. He'll do it in some ways that you that you accept and that you can deal easily with. But he often does it in ways that are hard. And I would say God brings suffering in our lives so that we would not necessarily be happy, but that we would be conformed to the image of his son. He's after something in your life. And it's called sanctification. There is a theology of suffering in the Bible. There is a theology of suffering in the Bible that you as a Christian are going to suffer. Jesus says that uh, there's going to be trouble in this world, but don't worry about that because I've overcome. Okay, there's going to be hardship in our world, but Jesus is going to over. He's going to help you overcome it. And so in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of. In the knowledge of God. And so verse 10 is the outcome of what Paul is praying in, in verse 9. And he's praying that, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's praying that we would bear the marks of Jesus and that we would live lives worthy of God. And so he gives us three, three outcomes. So what does a life worthy of God look like? And, and the first thing that he says is it's fully pleasing to God. Fully pleasing to God. If we're walking worthy of what God has called us to as as Christians, then it's a life worthy, fully, fully pleasing to God. And I think what this what he's saying is, 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 is holiness. OK, and don't let that word scare you. It's holiness. And I like what Paul says. He says it's, it's not you're not partially pleasing to God. You're fully in every way. Um, in every area of my life, it's being brought into conformity with God. God is, God is my audience of one. I'm living my life to him, through Jesus, for him. I want God because he's God. Not because he can fix things, although I do want him to fix things. It's not even because he can fix me. And, of course, I want him to fix me. I want God For God. And I think he said a life that's pleasing to God is a life that looks like this. That you want God for God. The Holy Spirit in you is like drawing you to God where you want God just for God. I mean, what does that look like? Um, You know, Paul is praying for transformation in our lives in the daily actions. Again, it goes back to this idea of, of 
of file cabinets and drawers. We're not living life like that. We're letting God into the crevices of our lives. Later in Colossians 2, 2 verse 6, Paul will say very practically, therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. He's going to tell us how uh, to walk this out as we get going in Colossians. So the second outcome, the first outcome is, is holiness. Holiness is being separated, being sanctified, set apart for for Jesus. The second outcome, he says that we would bear fruit in every good work. And here I think what he's just saying is, is fruitfulness. Paul is praying that the, the church at Colossae would be fruitful. And he's not just talking about spiritual stuff here. Again, I think Paul's being very practical. He's talking about that you would be, we would be fruitful in every area of our life. Uh, bearing fruit is a characteristic of the Christian life. You're supposed to bear fruit. Jesus said, remember, I mean, Jesus in the Gospels, he says, I mean, if you don't bear fruit, you might as well, I mean, I'm going to chop the tree down. He said that to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus, at the end of his life, he's in Jerusalem. The, the, the Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, as Jesus came to Jerusalem, has already happened. He, he's hungry, walks by a fig tree. It, it, it should have been a fig tree in season with fruit on it. He walked by. It didn't have what it was supposed to have. What did Jesus do? He cursed it. It withered. The message is we are we're supposed to bear fruit. And if we don't bear fruit, Jesus is going to he's going to cut that dead limb, dead limb off. I think the picture here is we can't, we don't, and we can't bear fruit if we're not connected to Jesus. And the message really here is um, it's always connected to the work of God. Uh, bearing fruit is always connected to the, to the work of God rather than something that we can achieve in and of our own strength or doing our own work outside of, of, of God helping us. This is the biblical promise that fruit always stems from our following and abiding in Jesus. That's the first thing this, this, this particular outcome is saying. The second thing is this focuses on good works. You see those words? Bearing fruit in every good work. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has created us for good work, that he established long ago that we should walk in them. Okay, so God intends th- there's work for us to do. We've been created for it, and it doesn't save us, but there is something that we're supposed to do that's, it, that's in the room of good, of good work. So the first outcome is holiness, the second is fruitfulness, and the third one simply is knowing God. He says these words in his prayer that they would increase in the knowledge of God. And I think this is relation, relational knowledge. Just, you know, intimate. I'm intimate with Jesus. And so I know who he is and what he's about because I'm fellowshipping with him. But it's also spiritual knowledge, a knowledge that only the Holy Spirit can give me. I can't read it in a book. I've got to spend time in prayer and reading, reading the word. I think the more we um, the more we learn does not equate to knowing God more. OK, knowing more doesn't equate even to being more sanctified. Those two aren't, aren't synonymous. Biblical knowledge, I think, the way the Holy Spirit gives it to us, um, re, uh, results in humility and the fear of God. There's a neat way that this past, this part, this knowing, this knowledge of God connects to the, the picture that we get in the language of Genesis chapter 1. Think about, think about this. God creates Adam and Eve, and they're fully pleasing to God. They have nothing to hide. God gives them work to do in the garden. Genesis 2.15 says, God put man in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. 
Um, they do it with joy. Um, they do it with exploration and excitement. I think it, we, we don't see this in the scripture. And so, you know, that this isn't eisegesis, I guess. Dr. Cruz, my hermeneutics instructor. Um, we don't read this in scripture. But I believe Adam and Eve didn't know everything. Okay, God had to tell them some things in this sense. They had the ability to increase in their knowledge of God. I think in eternity we won't know everything. The Bible says that we'll know him, Jesus, as he's known. But I think that we will increase in our knowledge of of the cosmos as we are exposed to the presence of God in eternity. And so. This is what makes the fall so tragic. Sin pollutes everything. And so instead of verse 10, you know, us increasing in the knowledge of God happening for Adam and Eve, um, they chose the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I mean, it got tainted. It got turned completely around. And what follows, obviously, is a story of, of how the knowledge of God becomes corrupt in, in all creation. It becomes corrupt in us. And because it becomes corrupt in us, it becomes corrupt in all of God's Creation, And so this is beautiful. This is what Paul is trying to to help us see through his prayer. There's more. There's more to this um, than just Paul praying a nice prayer and saying in Jesus name. Amen. He's given us a picture of of redemption, redemption for us personally, but redemption for uh, the cosmos um, corporately. He's giving us a picture of redemption of the whole world. In Christ. And I think uh, we've used these words before in Christ, backing up to, to verse two in Colossians. Um, he introduces himself to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. In, in verse four, he says, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your your love for for all the saints, when we are in Christ, second, uh, second Corinthians five seventeen. Um, In in Christ there, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. That means your life is caught up in the flow of redemptive activity. But it's not just about you. God has this bigger picture that he's opening your mind up to, that you you see his purpose and his plans for you. But you see it extends beyond you to all that God has created. And so when Paul prays that they would bear fruit for every good work, I think he means God has a whole vision of life that you've yet to imagine. Isn't that cool? He's opening their hearts and their minds up to to more. Paul wants us to catch a vision for a life that's worthy of the Lord. Verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. All right. So this is the second part of Paul's prayer. In verse nine, he prayed that they would have the knowledge of God's will. Here he's praying for power. And notice the word all, all power. I think he's qualifying that word power. He's saying this is the high. I'm, I'm praying that God would give you the highest category of power, whatever that is. I'm praying that God would make that known to you. He would give it to you uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Pa- you know, power of any type is is a precious commodity. Think of the ways that that we in our world seek power. We seek um, to rule by power. We seek to change things by power. We, we want spiritual power. Power is something that all of us in various ways want. We want it 
to influence our world, to change our lives and the lives of the people that are around here. But Paul here is talking about spiritual power. He's talking about spiritual power. Um, this reminds me of Ephesians 1.9. Again, Ephesians goes close, close hand uh, with what we're reading here. I'm going to turn there because I'm going to read more than the verses that are going to be on the screen. I love this passage. This is Paul praying it again. I'm going to start at verse 15, and then you'll catch up with me at verse 19 and 20. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Hear the similarities in his prayer here and also what he's praying in Colossians. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from dead, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What is all power? I, I think he's, he's talking about that here. All power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead reigns in you. And he's saying, I'm praying that you would have that kind of power in your life. I don't know if he's talking about your Lord, help him to be able to raise people from the dead. That doesn't happen often. But he's saying, God, give them this measure of the spirit of God that they would um, that they would be able to contend with all that in life that they would need, need to be able to contend with. And he, the way he he helps us understand is he uses two words that I think are linked together. He says endurance and patience. We need both of those. Endurance and patience. Endurance is bearing up in life's circumstances. Think of all the things that weigh you down, that rucksack that you carry on your back, that barbell that's on your chest, whatever that is in life. And it's like endurance is being able to push that up and keep it up and not have it suffocate you and, and just like push you down to the ground. And I think very much like that. Patience is dealing with difficult people. It's, it's having long suffering with all those people in your life that are just hard. They're hard to deal with and just hard to, hard to hard to be around. We need endurance for our circumstances. We need patience for those people in our lives that even ourselves, we need patience for our own selves, honestly. But then he adds with joy. And I think Paul is saying here, Lord, and and give them and give them a right attitude. Don't let them go about this with the wrong attitude. Give them an attitude of joy. And this is what I love about Paul when he prays in Ephesians and Colossians. As he begins most of his letters, he gives us an honest look at ourselves and he prays very practically and honestly um, for us. You know, his prayer for spiritual power. He's not asking God to make us happy. Although, you know, God wants us to be blessed. He's not even asking God to make us comfortable. He's not asking God to push aside all of our trials and our problems. But he is asking that we would have power to deal with the stuff that comes our our way, whether it's a circumstance in life or it's the people in life that we have to deal with. And that is really what we need. Paul ends this prayer in verse 12. Some would say it goes all the way to 14. I think he ends it in in verse 12. But before I get there, this is the point of my sermon. What Paul is praying in verses 9 through 11, we we understand how he's 
praying for us to grow when we understand what what he's what God has already given us in verse nine through twelve. Let me say that better. The clue to growing in in what Paul is praying for us in nine through eleven is understanding what we already have in verse twelve through fourteen. So what do we have in verse twelve through fourteen? I'm going to cover these quickly. Verse twelve. Let me turn back to Colossians. Paul says. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul says that we can give thanks because in all the ways we need to grow, God has already qualified you. So here's the good news in this prayer. God has he's qualified you. Exclamation point. He has qualified you. If you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins. You acknowledge he's died on the cross in my place for my sin. God has qualified you. That's good news. You're qualified to share, as he says in these words, in the inheritance of the saints in light, which means that all the conditions have been met by Jesus for you to be a full fledged member with all the rights of a member of the family of God. And you can't get it any other way. If Jesus doesn't give it to you, qualifying you for it by his death on the cross, you can't get it. Okay, so Paul says you're qualified, folks. You believe in Jesus. You trust his gospel. It's working in you. You're qualified. How how do we get qualified? We are qualified through the gospel. We're qualified through the good news of Jesus, his life, death on the cross in our place for sin and his resurrection and ascension. We are dead in our sin, the Bible tells us, and God sends Jesus to bear the penalty For our sin, resurrecting us from a hopeless state of sin into his family. God grows us. He sanctifies us in the process where we are increasingly becoming the holy people that he has already made us because we're in Christ. And the rest of our life, God sets us apart and he works. He helps us to work out what he's already worked in. You understand that he's he's he helps us through our life to work out what he's already given us because we're qualified. We're in Christ. The gospel that saves you is the same gospel that sanctifies you. In in the words of this passage, the gospel that qualifies you is the gospel that grows you. If we understand it, I think we see this prayer as good news and it's something that will help us bear fruit for Jesus. As we get going in chapter two, Paul's going to flesh this thought out. He's going to show us these false teachers that were coming to the church at Colossae and telling them, you don't have enough. You're not spiritual enough. There's not enough things manifesting in your life. You need to do more to be qualified, to be a Christian, to be to be in it with God. And and then Paul retorts by saying, no, in Jesus, in Jesus, you have the fullness of all. All that God wants you to have. You don't need to have extra. You know, uh, Tulian uh, uh, Chavision wrote this book, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you have Jesus, you have all that you need. And that really is the message behind uh, uh, Colossians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus is all you need. He is preeminent. And so in verse 13, Paul uh, Getting toward the conclusion, he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
This is a, a beautiful description of, of salvation, of you being captured in a domain with no way to break out. OK, you're not just in a domain of darkness. You're in a in, imprisoned. OK, in this darkness because of your sin. And should someone with power come to release you because he's more powerful then then you would be stuck here forever. And so God comes in Jesus and he has all power to to snatch you out of this darkness and bring you out of this domain of darkness into this domain of light. And that light then shines on you to rid you of that darkness, the, the, the sin that's in you. And it makes you less like this, this one, this other domain and more like this one that he's brought you into. And that really is what he's saying here. And then in four, verse 14, he says in him in whom we have Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we've been liberated by Jesus death on the cross. And the beautiful picture here is we've been forgiven of our sins. And more than just the for, this, we have this 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 picture of the gospel just simply forgives me of my sin. He's saying it's, it's more than that. It's way more than that. It's not just the, the once for all forgive the, the one time forgiveness of your sins. But you have this ongoing relationship with Christ, whereas he's forgiven you for the sins you're committing now, but also the ones that you'll do to right now and, and, and the next day. And so there's a couple of implications. I got two implications and we'll be done. The first is, is this. Be who you are. This is what uh, this is what Paul is saying. Be who you already are. And to explain this, I got, I got to go to a parallel passage. And I shouldn't do this as a preacher, but especially at the end of my sermon. But, but this is a parallel passage, and it's beautiful words, and I can't help but do it. All right, so very quickly. Second Peter, uh, I'm going to read a few verses here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I'll stop right there. You hear the, you hear the, the parallel message. He's talking about knowledge of God's will and, and power, divine power. And this is Peter at the end of his life. A person at the end of their life, he is, he is anticipating dying. God, you know, Jesus bringing him to himself and he's leaving these words. Paul, Peter could have said anything. He could have given some grand theology of do this, don't do that. But instead, he exhorts them. Remember your calling. Remember, uh, remember all these things about God and who is who he's called you to be. And then in skipping a verse, starting back again at verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. Um, Steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with your love. For if these qualities are yours, uh, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the main verse here. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his his former sins. Paul, Peter is saying, be who you already are. In this passage, he's saying, work out what God has already worked in you. Work out what God has already worked in you. And he says, these are the qualities that God would have you to have. All those qualities, virtue, steadfastness, self-control, godliness. And he says, you have them. And if you've forgotten that you have them, it's because you're so nearsighted 
that you, you're blind now. Work out what you already have in you. What, back in Colossians, what does is, what is, what is Paul remind the church at Colossae? What does he remind us of what we have in us? At the beginning of this letter, he says, you're saints. He says, you're brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls them faithful. He says, the truth of the gospel, you believed it, and it's also being worked out in you. It's bearing fruit, and it's growing. And Peter, at the end of his life, is reminding the dispersed church that's in persecution, he's reminding them, remember and discover the gospel every day. And Paul in Colossians is saying the same thing. Be who you already are, and if you can't remember it, then go back and remind yourself. Remember the gospel. Remember and discover the gospel every day. The, last, the second thing that he's saying, and I'll conclude with this, is, is grow in what you already have. And this means Christian growth doesn't happen by doing better, but by, le- by believing better. Those are important words because we try so hard. We try. We're, we're not, it's not that we're not trying to do what the Bible says, but we try so hard. And really, I think the, the key is believing Believing better, not trying harder. And Paul is going to try and get this through our thick skulls in the book of of Colossians. What Jesus has already done for us is what should be um, animate and what should motivate our behavior. And here, the vertical indicative, what the Bible points out to us in terms of who we are, precedes the moral imperative. Whenever you see the Bible saying, do this, do this, do this, look around it, because before it tells you to do this, it's giving you a picture of who you already are. Here's how this plays out in, practically in our lives. These are some examples, and I'm going to conclude with, conclude with these. When you, have, when you long for approval, anybody ever long for approval in here? When you feel like you failed or haven't done enough, the indicative says, God has already qualified you by the gospel of Jesus. And so the imperative is believe that in all the ways we fail, Jesus is already sufficient. He's enough. If you are here and you long for security, you feel insecure because of the things going on around you. The, the indicative is you are qualified in Christ. You're qualified because you're in Christ. And the imperative is believe that God gives you a share and an inheritance that can't be stripped away. If you say to yourself, I'm longing for protection, I just feel insecure, I feel unsafe, then first you've got to look at Ephesians 6. And remember, there's a war going on around you. God says, put on some weapons, first of all. Don't forget what the Bible says. Uh, identify who the real enemy is. He is a formidable enemy. But then remember, the indicative is Jesus has strengthened you with all power. Emphasis on the all. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness. The imperative is believe that the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Believe that you are safe and sound forever in Jesus. Last one. If you if you have a problem, this is just a behavioral example. If you have a problem with anger. We can say this about any any problem, any behavioral problem in our life. If you have a problem with anger specifically, so much so that you you feel like you're out of control. The indicative is, in him, you have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus has already died on the cross for you. He's not going to punish you again for something that goes on in your life. And the imperative is, believe 
that the love of Christ controls you. Believe the gospel declares that we are all the same, helpless and yet so loved. I'll conclude with this. What we have and who we are is anchored in Jesus' performance, not ours. God doesn't need to show us something new. This is what he'll say to the Colossians in chapter 2. He reminds us of who we already are. By the gospel, our identity in Christ. Emphasis on in Christ. Christ is preeminent. And if you're in him, you already have what he's calling you to grow up into. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of Paul, this prayer that he prays for the church at Colossae and extension, what he prays for us. I pray that uh, you give us a revelation that our growth in the Lord, the way that he would move us along this continuum of sanctification so that we would look more like Jesus in many ways. We work that out by understanding who he's already made us in Christ. Help us, Lord, to grasp what it truly means to be in Christ, in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, that you've snatched us out of this kingdom of darkness and brought us into this kingdom of your son and it's full of light. Thank you, Lord God, that you've redeemed us, forgiven us. Thank you for this beautiful salvation that you've given us. We thank you that we experience salvation, yet there's more to come, an eschatological salvation to come. Lord, make these words reality in our lives. Help us to understand vertically what it means to, who you've called us to be. And you call us that before you tell us to do anything. And last, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to receive this prayer. Help us to receive it. That that, that Paul is praying, not just for the church at Colossae, but he's praying for us. That we would be holy, fruitful, that we would know God intimately, that we would have all power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.